right? Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Coke? All right, Coke, Pepsi? All right, all right. Cardinals, Cubs. Cardinals? Cubs? Wow, that's a little surprise. All right, all right. Curl up with a good book or binge watch on Netflix? Book? Netflix? Right, yeah, all right. And this is, uh, this is one of those things that our, our culture uh, loves to do. Our, our culture, uh, for whatever reason, especially the last five years or so, we love to debate uh, which is better. If you turn on any political show this week, uh, you probably saw coverage of the Democrat uh, uh, debates uh, that are going to be going on for quite a while at this point, but uh, love debate who, who did it better, who, who debated better. Uh, if you turn on any sports show this week, uh, you, you saw a debate at some point about who is better or, or who is the best. Uh, we do this even as a church. After church, we're going to go down for the Taste of Northwest, and you're going to have an opportunity to vote on who did it better, right? Uh, whose dessert w- was better, uh, whose salad was better. Rob, that's funny. All right, um, and uh, that... Uh, uh, so we, we love to do this. We love to kind of debate and, and think about uh, which is better. And this is kind of the transition uh, that the Apostle Paul is going to make in the book of Galatians. Over the next several weeks, um, the, these first couple weeks of the series, he's been articulating the gospel and, and, and what the gospel is. And now he's going to transition to a multi-week approach about why Jesus, why the gospel, why grace, why all of that is better. Uh, than, than the law and, and the old way, right? So we're going to be in Galatians 3 today. And uh, I just want to take a minute and kind of remind you uh, about how way back in, in chapter 1, Paul defines for us the gospel. And I think it's the kind of shortest, most succinct way to, to say the gospel is what Paul says in Galatians 1. And it's that Jesus gave himself for our sins. If anyone ever wants to ask you, what is the good news? What is the gospel? That is it in a nutshell. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Now, Paul had come from a background where he had been relying on his own effort, his own righteousness, his own uh, sensibilities to make himself uh, good with God, to make him put himself in good standing with God. And Paul needed to learn an important lesson that we all have to learn at some point in our life. And, and here's the lesson all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? You, you sin in a different way than I sin, and I sin in a different way than you sin, but we are all sinners. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, the death of that relationship. And the gospel says Jesus was not okay with that. Jesus was not okay with that. And so the gospel says he gave his, his life on the cross. He died in our place so that we could know God, follow God, and worship God. And this relationship with Jesus, Paul says, changes everything. It does. It gives us forgiveness of our sins. It gives us new life. It gives us an eternity in heaven that is secured. And so the book of Galatians was written by Paul because there was this group called the Judaizers that were trying to go backward. And, and they, what they essentially the Judaizers were saying is that, no, Jesus is not enough. His grace is not enough. His life is not sufficient. Uh, his example is not enough. You also need to become essentially Jewish in order to be good with God, in order to have your t- eternity secured, in order to find new life. You also need to be circumcised and celebrate certain holidays and follow Jewish customs. And the temptation is to think that's really weird. That we don't have any, we don't have Judaizers today. We, we don't have people with that mindset. And I want to push back on that just a little bit because I think Paul's letter to the Galatians uh, is really relevant for us today. We don't call them Judaizers in our culture. <clears throat> 
What experts have kind of coined what's going on in our culture is called moralistic therapeutic deism. And I think, and, and, but it's very similar to the Judaizers. And, and what I think, uh, it, it, moralistic therapeutic deism, is that I think it is a great definition of how our culture views God. And what it says is that I do my best to be a good person. I try hard. I work hard. And if I succeed at being a good person, then God will be there for me when I need him. I just don't need him that often. But you see what it is, right? And I think this is the dominant way our culture views God. It's be a good person, follow the rules. And if I need God, if I'm a good person, God will be there for me. And do you see how it's not that different from the Judaizers? All it is is trust in you more than you trust in Jesus, right? And, and it's a huge mistake. And, and the, the, gospel we are, the gospel we are invited to is Jesus-centered, Right? I'm doing this series along with a couple other churches, and they actually, uh, a couple of the other churches titled their series Centered, because that, that's part of what the book of Galatians is about, is being centered on Jesus, because a relationship with him accomplishes everything. It's not about my work. It's not about my effort. It's about the work of Jesus. So Paul, like I said, he's transitioning to this. He wants to prove to us this is better. So he starts in Galatians 3. I, how about we start in verse 1? That works, right? All right. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right? We'll pause there for a minute. Bewitching is not a term that we use very often, uh, except to think about a show from the 70s and 80s, right? Um, But bewitching, the, the Greek word there, it is a term when you believe something is better when it's not. All right? That's what it means to be bewitched. You believe something is better. You've determined it's the best when it's not the best. So all of you that raised your hand when I said, what, what's better, Coke or Pepsi? When you raised your hand for Pepsi, I could have said, you've been bewitched. <laughs> right? You, you think something is better when, when it's, it's not. All right? And um, that, right? That, that's what it means to be bewitched. And I think when it comes to our righteousness and our efforts, it's easy to be bewitched. It's easy to think that it's better to trust in my own righteousness and my own effort. And the reason for that is a couplefold. One is we tend to overestimate our own righteousness. We all tend to do this. We tend to, if I can say it this way, we all tend to think that we are better than we are, right? So we overestimate our own righteousness and we tend to underestimate God's holiness and God's perfection and God's righteousness. And that's not, you don't need a preacher to tell you this, that's not a good combo, If I overestimate how good I am and I underestimate how holy and righteous God is, that is not a very good combination because it results in me trusting in me more than I trust in in Jesus. It's easy to be be bewitched. But the other reason it is, is, let's be honest here. As the series unfolds, we're going to talk about this more. The Bible talks a lot about your holiness. And the Bible talks a lot about your righteousness and the message can become, if you're not careful, the message can become, be good, make the right decision, engage in holy living, and and then God will love you, God will forgive you when you fall short, God God will usher you into an eternity. And and it can be easy, because of all what the Bible says about righteousness and holiness, it can be easy to preach that first. But if you preach holiness and righteousness first, you end up missing so much. Step one is not come to G- live right, live, live the right kind of life, and, and, and you'll be good. Step one is always come to Jesus, and he will lead you to life. He will lead you to righteousness. He will lead you to holiness. But we tend to get those out of order, right? And so the message can become, 
This is what holy living looks like, and we haven't even introduced people to Jesus. Step one needs to be come to Jesus. Jesus is better, and Paul will tell us how. Let's move on here. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was cruelly, uh, clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. All right, here's this question. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work of miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? He starts out by asking a really important question. Did you, when you think about receiving the Holy Spirit, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law, by, by being a good person, by being a righteous person, or did you believe the Holy Spirit by believing in Jesus, by believing what you heard? This goes to the order of things, right? So how, what is the message of Christianity? Is it um, that I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna be good, I'm gonna be righteous, and God will see how hard I have worked to be righteous, and he will say, very good, here's the Holy Spirit. Right? Is that how it works? Or is it instead we come to Jesus as we are? Broken, sinful, hurting. And Jesus in his grace, then because we have believed in him, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit who begins to change us and transform us. Right? You see, those are two very different orders. One is good news and one is not. Right? So, so one way that people tend to think about this is, man, if I just am a good person, then Jesus will accept me. Jesus will give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus will give me his Holy Spirit. That's not the good news. The good news is you come to him as you are. So I'm broken. Come to him. I'm sinful. Come to him. Right? I'm hurting. Come to him. You come to Jesus as you are. He forgives you. He gives you an example to follow. And he also gives you his Holy Spirit to begin to change you and transform you. This is why I say the message always must be Jesus first. Jesus is going to deal with your stuff. I promise you that. Jesus will deal with yourself. He's going to deal with your sin. He's going to deal with your shortcomings. But you come to him as you are. And he will begin to change you and transform you from then. I'm reminded of uh, the first sermon Peter preached. Peter was in Jerusalem. This is just a very short time after uh, Jesus was crucified and, and resurrected. And uh, in Jerusalem, there's all this hubbubaloo. And you can read the whole, uh, that's in the Greek, by the way, hubbubaloo. But you can read the whole sermon in Acts 2. But let me kind of read one part of this sermon to you in Acts 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Right? So, Peter essentially gets up just days after Jesus is crucified, and he gets up and he preaches a sermon entitled, You Just Killed the Son of God. And I doubt there was a funny illustration to start, right? That is an intense, powerful sermon. He said, you killed the Son of God. And it says they were cut to the heart and they began to, what do we do, Peter? 
And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And Peter says, turn to Jesus. Respond to Jesus in baptism. He will give you his Holy Spirit who will empower you to live different lives. It wasn't clean yourself up. It wasn't get, get yourself ready for, for, for Jesus. It was come to him as you are. Respond to him. Uh, believe in him, and he will give you the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of Paul's first point in the book of Galatians. Jesus is better because of the Holy Spirit. What makes Jesus better than the law, what makes Jesus better than the old way, is the Holy Spirit. That law, by its nature tends to focus on external forces of change. It focuses on punishment and rewards. And every parent and every grandparent in the room understands this because multiple times a week you will say to your children or your grandchildren, if you, then I, right? That this, this is kind of a rewards punishment based thing. If you don't obey, if you do obey, if you don't do what I say, if you do do what I say, then I will reward you for your obedience and I will discipline you for your disobedience. And this can work some. Right? And this is really one of the things parents have in their tool bag is this kind of rewards punishment system because you've probably noticed this if you've been parenting for any length of time. You're not your kid's Holy Spirit. So you can't change their heart as a parent. Right? So all we really have in our toolbox is kind of reward and discipline. And it can work some. It is a tool that we have. But you've noticed this if you're a parent or a grandparent. It's really not very sustainable. And so that's law. What the gospel says and what the spirit says is this, it's different. He says, I'm gonna dwell inside of you and I'm gonna empower you to change from the inside out. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you. So the spirit is gonna change your heart and change your desire. The spirit is gonna impress God's law on your heart and in your mind, right? The, the spirit is going to make a difference from the inside out. And parents rely, we rely on these external measures. If you, then I, that's what we rely on. But the hope is that someday our kids will receive the Holy spirit and that spirit will begin to change them from the inside out. So someday there'll be this glorious day where you no longer have to say, if you, then I, because the law will be impressed on their hearts. The law will be impressed in their mind. And that is a huge part of what we try to do in kids ministry is point people to Jesus point kids to Jesus so that they receive his Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit does in us. It impresses God's law onto our soul, all right? Let's read on in the text, right? All right, so Jesus is better because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference. Verse six, we're gonna read on. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the gospel is better because of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is better because of blessing because of blessing. You know what every single person in the world is trying to figure out today? We would not necessarily phrase it this way, but every single person in the world is trying to answer this question. How will I be blessed? How am I gonna be blessed in this life? How am I gonna achieve blessing? And a lot of people, they try to bless themselves by their own power, um, but you know what a lot of other people do? 
is they turn to something else in their life to be kind of a small G God for them and then demand that that thing bless them. And that thing on its deepest level is not equipped to bring blessing. And so it usually ends up being kind of crushed under the power of that. That's always what happens here is that when you turn to this thing and you say, I am turning to you, even though you're not God, I'm turning to you to be the, the greatest blessing in my life is that that thing will not survive under the weight of that and it will become something really destructive. Let me give you an example. Turning to work. Work is a good thing, it is a God thing, but when you turn to work to be your ultimate blessing, you know what it becomes? Workaholism. And that, that is crushing. Turning to food, right? Food is a good thing. We're about to celebrate food, right? Food is a good thing. But turning to food to be your greatest source of blessing turns to addiction. Turning to your spouse. God loves marriage. Marriage is a good thing, but turning to your spouse and saying, I am, I, I am relying on you as a little G God to bring blessing in my life, you know what it turns to? Codependency. And so anytime we do this, anytime we turn to something else other than God to be our source of blessing, it, it, it flips it on its head and then it, it's crushed under the weight of it. And so Jesus, way back in the Sermon on the Mount, we studied this um, earlier this year, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts out that sermon by walking through blessing in God's kingdom. Let me read this text to you again. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, I've taught this to you before, but anytime you see a list in the Bible, a, a whole list of things, there's this thing called the law of first mention, right? And so the, the first thing that's mentioned is usually the most important thing, right? And we understand this. If you were to say to me, what are the greatest candies of all time, right? And number one for me, that as I'm listing the greatest candy of all time, is Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. That's number one for me. You would know that holds a special place in my heart for a specific reason, and that would be true, all right? So the law of first mention, it, it always kind of denotes a certain kind of importance to the list. And so the, 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 the type of blessing Jesus is talking about, you notice what it starts with? It starts with dependence on Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the person who realizes they can't do this on their own, who realizes that they need Jesus, who is poor in spirit. Rich in spirit is, I've got this. I can bring about change. I, I can change my, I've got, you know, I, I'm, I'm the most important thing. That's rich in spirit. Poor in spirit is I need Jesus. I need Jesus to forgive me. I need Jesus to change me. I need Jesus to be an example for me. I need Jesus. And the whole list, it starts with dependence on Jesus. And then it flows to things like uh, when you see Jesus and how wonderful he is, you realize how sinful you are and there's mourning over our sin, there's blessing in that. You realize how you want his righteousness to be merciful, peacemaking, and humble. There's blessing in that. How he's uh, reshaping us and remaking us, there's blessing in that. But it starts with a, I'm poor. I can't do this. 
I need his help, I need his power. And, and it starts there, and every one of the Beatitudes flow from there. So let's go back to something we talked about earlier. Almost every family has a system of rewards and punishment that goes like this, if you, then I. For in, our, in our house right now, it's summer screen time, right? Cheryl, uh, we homeschool uh, our son, uh, and so one of the, they just finished up school like a, a week or two ago, and so Cheryl said, all right, I'm gonna allow some summer screen time, but she gave Sam like a, it's like a list of like seven things that he has to do um, before uh, he can have any screen time, and one of them is ask mommy if she needs any help with anything. I love that one, right? So, you know, you, know, you approach mommy and say, do you need, need help with anything? And um, that's a if you, then I thing. And it's different from blessing, right? That's kind of works and that's kind of law. And like I said, there's nothing, parents have this in their toolbox. There's nothing wrong with this, but this is works and this is law. Blessing is a thing that comes from relationship. So there are things in our household that we just celebrate because we're family, right? They're not based on works. They're not based on effort at all. For us, one of the things is like birthdays, right? You don't have to behave good to celebrate your birthday at our house, right? We prefer it, right? But, but that, that is not a prerequisite of a birthday celebration. We celebrate birthdays because we're family and, and, and we celebrate each other's birth. For another one for us is Lila's adoption days coming up here in July. That's, we celebrate adoption days, Right? And if what, our kid is having a bad day on their adoption day, doesn't matter. We, we celebrate because we're family. Um, this one's a little maybe more controversial because I know different people feel different ways about this. But uh, for us, Christmas is one of these things. Um, we don't do this whole, he knows if you've been bad or good thing. And I'm, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying we don't do it. Um, we are celebrating Jesus and we are celebrating family um, uh, at, at Christmas time. And, and that's just how we do it. So there is works, and then there's blessing. There are things that just come from being in the family, and Jesus has a desire to bring about blessing. But it starts with dependence on him. It starts with the gospel, saying, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I, I'm not righteous enough. I need him. And all this blessing flows from there. All right, let's finish up the text. All right, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here's the last thing. The gospel is better than the law because of grace. I remember growing up, uh, my dad woke up uh, super, super early to go to work, um, like way, way early in the morning. And so it was this kind of tradition for, honestly, most of my life growing up that when dad got home from work, he would uh, grab a nap uh, almost every day. He would, he would grab a nap because he woke up in the middle of the night for work and when he'd get home, he, he'd be tired. And so he would nap. And when the, the nap time was proclaimed in our house by my mom, like, Dad is taking a nap. And we all knew what that meant. That meant keep your yapper shut, 
or exit the house. Right, those are your choices. You can exit the house or you can stay inside, but you better be quiet. And I will tell you, I, I, have, I won't tell these stories now, but I have two stories of when I woke my dad up from a nap and it is like waking up a bear, all right? Uh, and not in a positive way at all. Not in like a cuddly fun bear, right? A rip your arm off bear sort of thing. So we, we always knew that this was the standard of righteousness during nap time. It was like exit the house or, or be quiet. And so I want you to see the standard of God's righteousness in this text. Because right, it's really powerful. He said, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything. Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. Everything. I looked up the, I looked up the Greek word just to be sure. You could translate that word everything, literally Everything. Right? That is a massive standard. Wait, wait, see, I have to do everything, everything. And here's the question that flows from that. Who lives up to that? And every eye on me for a minute, the answer is no one. No one does everything. The answer is no one. And the better answer than that is there was one that, that did it, and his name was Jesus. And so the text says, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. This is the gospel. It's like God's standard is that we would do everything written in the book of law. So I haven't done everything exactly. So Christ did everything and he became a curse. By be, he, he took the curse from us by becoming a curse for us. In other words, he paid for our sin on the cross so that we could be free, free to know, worship, and follow God. See, the gospel is not God changing his standards, God's standards have always been, this is my law, do everything, that you, do, do everything written in the law. I'm like, well, I haven't done everything written in the law. All right, I, I will send my son. And he will take the curse by becoming a curse. He will go to the sin, he, he will go to the cross, and he will die on that cross for the sin of mankind. And he does it for everyone. He offers it for everyone. The Jew and the Gentile, it's true for everyone. So that re word redeem, we sang, sang several songs about it. It's really cool. And what the word redeem is, it's a compilation of two words. And it's to pay a great price so someone can exit their current situation. It is to pay a great price so someone can exit their current situation. Think about like ransom, right? Paying a ransom. I am paying a great price so the person who's enslaved can exit their current situation situation. And our current situation was God's standard is that we would do everything. We didn't do everything. None of us did. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we were in trouble and Christ paid a great price so we could exit our current situation in him. So I want you to know those who are guilty, those who think about that, I have not done everything written in the book of the law. To those that are guilty, Jesus paid a great price for you so that you could exit the room of your guilt and find peace, right? So if you're here today and you read text like this, I feel overwhelmingly guilty. I haven't obeyed even a third of this or even, even an eighth, I haven't obeyed it. That guilt not, is not from Jesus because he paid a great price for you so that you could, you could exit the room of guilt and enter the room of peace. To those that are anxious, and you're like, I don't know where I stand with God. I'm uncertain. I'm unsure. Jesus paid a great price for you 
so that you could exit the room of anxiety and enter the room called joy, right? So that anxiety, Jesus paid a price for you to leave that behind. To those of you that are hopeless, Jesus paid a great price for you so that you could exit the room of hopelessness and find the room called hope. And to those that are wandering, for those of you that are wandering right now, Jesus paid a great price for you so that you can exit the room of wandering and find the room called home. The gospel doesn't say Jesus changes the standards. The gospel says Jesus paid a great price. For all of us that have fallen short, for all of us that have sinned, for all of us who have broken even a single law of this book, and if you've just broken a single law of this book, I'd like to see in the overflow after, right? You should be up here instead of me, right? But for all of us that have failed, all of us that have fallen short, all of us that are guilty, anxious, hopeless, and wandering, he paid a price for you. He paid a great price for you so that God's standard could be fulfilled because Jesus did keep the law. So God's standard could be fulfilled and you could come home. So my prayer all throughout this series is that you would come home, that you would leave behind your, your feeling of guilt, you would leave behind your anxiety, you would leave behind your hopelessness, you would leave behind any sense of spiritual wandering that you have and that you'd come home to God. Because as I said, the very first week of this series, and I believe it is true, God has placed himself inside of you. He has placed himself inside of you, a desire to know him. God put that inside of you. When he put all of your gifts and all of your abilities in you, he also put that inside of you, a desire for him, a desire to know him. But we have all fallen short. And so Jesus paid a price so we could come home. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the price that he paid. That no one who relies on the law is justified before God because we've all broken it. And so you have given us this gift that through faith, through faith, we can enter into a relationship with God even though we have failed, even though we have fallen short. It's called grace. May we live in it, may we love it, may we walk in it. May we be a people of grace who love it and celebrate it every single day. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.